Good morning, everybody. As it was said before, my name is Chris Kimston. I am the new, I'll have to make sure I get the title right, Young Adult Minister and Director of Missions. I think that's it. There's probably a couple, John gave me the thumbs up, so that one's going to work. Um, I am the new staff member here at Hope, but I am not new to Hope. This is actually my hipster, like I was here before it was cool moment. I actually went to preschool at Hope when it was in the building next to the one that it's actually in right now in, uh, in West Des Moines. There were like 16 people that went there. So it's crazy to see where it's come from. I grew up in central Iowa, and uh, I actually went to Drake University in Des Moines. That's where Kelsey and I met. Uh, she's from the Twin Cities, and so we've spent the last few years there. I've been at Bethel Seminary uh, studying to get my, uh, my MDiv, which is Master's of Divinity, which is a strange degree title, which basically is just like a pastor's degree. And I'm super excited to be back here with you today. Um, I'm also really excited to be continuing a series that you guys have been in uh, called Here I Stand. Like John said before, it's kind of like our 500th birthday, not hope, but uh, the Lutheran Church as a whole. And so it's really exciting to kind of go back and look at what's, what's come before and kind of understand what does this whole thing even really mean. And if you haven't get, gotten caught up with that, feel free to check out our website or um, any Lutheran Church of Hope uh, on wherever you get podcasts, if you're one of those folks. I know I am. Uh, feel free to search that. If you want this campus, search Hope Des Moines, I believe, and that will be the one. Uh, before we continue, I'd like to tell you about my favorite character of the Reformation. If you don't know what the Reformation is, if you're, you're new this morning, basically, the, the tweet-sized version of it is there was one church for a really long time, and uh, it split off. Um, this guy started a new thing. Um, a bunch of leaders started this new thing that ended up being the Protestant church, and that's where we came from. But I want to tell you about my very favorite uh, Reformation character. Now, a lot of them are from Germany, but um, this, this guy was born in Germany uh, to two very hardworking parents, had a few different brothers and sisters, and was kind of a quirky guy. He was one of the best musicians of his day and was friends with uh, some of the best musicians in the world. He ended up working for the church, but wasn't maybe exactly what you think of as like a pastoral presence. Uh, he, like I said, he, he was really good with his words, did a lot of writing. He brewed his own beer. Uh, he, um, he also was very famously unafraid to get into an argument. He was uh, never, never quick to back down from a fight. And I actually brought some of my favorite quotes from him uh, here. In it, keep in mind, this is like 500 years ago, so um, the burns are a little bit old, but just imagine in hearing this in an argument. He asked somebody once, are you ignorant of what it means to be ignorant? Okay. Um, when somebody asked him about one of his adversaries, he said, uh, I would not smell the foul odor of their name. Um, my favorite one was that I'll read for you now is, I think that if you were alone in a field, an angry cat would be enough to scare you away. So next time you're in an argument and you want something clean, use that one. Um, this, my friends, is Martin Luther. This is the guy we're named after. And I say all of these things not to like put him in a weird light or try to ruin his image for anybody. The main point is that this is a real person. Sometimes I think our church fathers and different things become these like these saints that all of a sudden like are these one-dimensional characters that are just the things that we know them for. But this was a real guy that had his own passions, his own hopes and dreams, his own shortcomings, his own pet peeves. He was funny, he was witty, but at the same time, he had his own pitfalls. 
And the reason I start with this this morning is because I think that how we think of our historical church leaders, our forefathers, and our history has a lot to do with how we also see the Bible, which is what we're talking about today. This series is called Here I Stand, which is a line from Luther's 95 Theses, which is just basically another way to say uh, that Luther took 95 problems with the... um, with the Catholic or with the church at the time. Now, I did say Catholic church. I want to make sure if there are any Catholics out here, this is not an indictment on the current Catholic church. After the Reformation, there were a lot of things that were changed. I don't want to offend any Catholics in the room. Um, at the time, though, there were a bunch of issues that, so he took the, his 95 issues, nailed them on the door of, Wit, of All Saints Cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany. So just imagine if you have 95 things you don't like about the current place that you work, and you nail it on your office door, that's not going to do a lot for your employment. But that's exactly what he did. There were some things going on at the time that weren't super great, and I know John and the rest of the preaching staff has gone through some of these things before, but one of the main issues were something that like indulgences, which is basically if you go to confess your sins to a priest, they said instead of trying to get some sort of spiritual penance or something for, um, for, for those things that it had transgressed, um, they'd say, well, for 12 easy payments of 1995, God will forgive your sin. And if you want to take care of your... Uh, if you want to take care of your mother-in-law and your brother and your little sister, just take a little bit extra off the top there. That'd be great. Obviously an issue. That's not the way that we want things to work. And so one of the reasons why the church was able to do this list of 95 things and other is the use of the Bible. They were using the Bible in a very specific way. Now, talking about the Bible, I don't mean to sound patronizing. At Hope, I know we have like Bible, very knowledgeable Bible folks. Uh, I just never want to assume that somebody coming in for the first time would feel left out or feel like they needed to walk in with some sort of extensive knowledge. And review is good for all of us. Um, the Bible is made of two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament written a really long time ago, some as far back as a couple thousand years, and um, made up of different oral stories that were finally written down, and it's considered now the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Jewish folks would use these, a version of these, as their, their holy scriptures. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, this language that they had, um, and then the New Testament was written much later, um, after the time of Jesus, and... Uh, was originally written in Greek because of the conquest of the Roman Empire. That, that was the language that everybody spoke. So Hebrew and Greek. Eventually, it was translated into Latin, and that's what was used at church services. There are two problems with that. The first issue was that all the Bibles were in Latin. First problem was very, very few people could read. So that was difficult. But even beyond that, the church service, okay, we're going to read in Latin. The other issue, nobody spoke Latin. It's like if I were to come and read the Bible story to you today, read the Bible verse in Swahili, everybody would be very impressed, but very few people would understand what I was saying. Now, the issue is that people were being able to be taken advantage of because they weren't able to read and interpret the scriptures for themselves. Now, Martin Luther saw the Bible in a completely different way. Instead of something that could be used as a tool to manipulate and make the hierarchy of the church stronger, he sought for what it was, which is our story and the story of God at the heart of it. So he made a Bible in the language that people spoke. At that point, it was German, and there are a lot of interesting historical information of things that made this possible. Uh, this thing, 
if you've ever been frustrated like me about how like you can tear the page of a Bible like it's like tissue paper because the reason they do it is because there are so many pages, there's so many books, and it's so long in this thing. Um, and back in the day, they had to write, hand, someone had to handwrite this whole thing out. So any of you with good handwriting, that you would be recruited, but me, definitely not. The, the issue is, is that it would take forever, but Martin Luther translating this, this common language Bible, at the same time there was this thing that was invented called the printing press, which allowed them to mass produce these Bibles. And so even if you couldn't read, um, you might know somebody who could, and all of a sudden people could read the text for themselves. But all that historical information, all of that doesn't really matter. I, I, would, I would say today, if we don't ask, what does the common language Bible mean for us now? It's easy to take it for granted because I can pull out my phone, I can put it on the screen, I can look online. We can get the Bible anywhere, and not just in our own language. There are hundreds of English language translations. I don't, I don't pretend to say all, but maybe most of us would assume would prefer an English language Bible as the easiest way to understand it. But if you don't like one particular version, if, it doesn't, if, if it's more difficult to understand, chances are there is an English tra language translation for you. If you don't like the flowery language of the, of the ki original King James Bible, the these and the thous, there are English translations that take the these and thous out. Recently, there are ones that put the these and thous back in. There are comic book Bibles, both for adults, graphic, like graphic novel Bibles, and, as we saw earlier, um, children's Bibles, easier for kids to understand. There are even some that, there's even one that I found um, that puts the original Hebrew words back in the New Testament, so that if an Orthodox Jewish person were to read the New Testament, they would be able to know what it's referring back to in the Old Testament. There are hundreds of these, and most of them are free with the access of the internet. And so it's kind of hard for us to understand um, there's also, oh, I just wanted to throw this in there. If you ever want a fascinating Google, look up the Hawaiian Pigeon Bible translation. Just keep that in your back pocket for a rainy day. All right. And so you, you could say to me, Chris, I understand what you're saying. You seem like a really nice guy. You're the new guy here. I understand. But I've been hurt by this thing. Or maybe somebody that I know has had this thrown at them and I just can't get behind that. Or Chris, I don't know if you've read XYZ verse, but there's some really awful things that happen in here. This is 2017. I can't get behind some of this. Or you could just say, Chris, you are a seminary student. You're, you're, you're the young adult missions minister now. This is your thing, and I totally respect that, but it's just kind of not mine. The invitation, friends, this morning is to see the Bible in a whole new way, maybe for the first time. Because often we see church figures like, just like we see characters of the Bible, as static, flat characters that are detached from our modern, present-day world. But just like our, our historical forefathers in the Reformation, Martin Luther, we need to see the familiar humanity in the story. We need to be able to see ourselves we need to see that this isn't just something that happened a long time ago. This is our story. And I always preach context. Um, it's important to remember that one of the reasons why this is sometimes really difficult to understand is because we are sometimes as far removed historically, contextually, geographically, uh, 
culturally, maybe I already said that one, that from the, these, these original words and that they would have made perfect sense, certain references to people that it was originally written for, but for us in Des Moines, Iowa in 2017, it's kind of hard to comprehend. So it's important to know context and understand it and to, to apply that so we don't just carbon copy and paste Bible verses to our own language. However, the point that I want to focus on this morning is that even in these different times, even though those people were so different, they still had a lot of the similar hopes and dreams and feelings and struggles. They were still people just like us. These are people who, despite being in a completely different time and place, were cheated on, were made fun of, were hurt by a loved one, were taken advantage of, they clashed with their family, they struggled with money, they made poor decisions for personal gain. They struggled to make friends. They struggled to start a family. I don't know about you, but those sound like things that we deal with now. So if this is like such an easily applicable thing, what keeps us from seeing things this way, right? Like, like you say, okay, why, why, isn't, why is it so difficult then? And I already talked about the context piece, but I think the other thing that happens is sometimes there are words in there that we don't really use in anywhere outside of the Bible or outside of church on Sunday. They kind of either become meaningless or they become these like church buzzwords. But when those words all of a sudden reflect our story, that's when we start to realize that we're just a continuation of this story. I'll say that again. When we realize that these words start to reflect our story, we realize that we're just part of something much bigger. Psalm 16, 8 uh, reads, I know the Lord my God is right beside me. I shall never tremble or be afraid. Uh, some verses, like I said, lots of different English translations will translate it different ways, but one of the Hebrew words uh, means to physically shake with fear. We hear uh, words like tremble. We never really use the word tremble. You might have heard Simon Estes sing the word tremble before, but it's outside of a context like that. I mean, what, what does it really mean? It might have not meant to anything to you, and I know it certainly didn't to me. Uh, in high school, well, let me do this. With a quick raise of the hand, how many, for how many people was high school just a little bit rough? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. I forgive those of you who didn't raise your hand because it's true for literally every person. Um, high school is just a rough time. And it certainly was for me. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have uh, friends to this day that I, that I met in high school. However, man, what a hard time to try to figure yourself out. It's just a hard time in life. And, and I know it's like this in a lot of high schools. I went to a really big high school around here in central Iowa. And you had to find out where you belonged, you had to find your activity or else you were gonna get left, left behind. You were gonna get lost. And so I did, I found my thing. I was a performer. I was a choir kid, I liked to sing solos, I was in band and orchestra for a while, I liked to sing in acapella groups. I, as you could tell, I was really cool. Um, but I was in plays and speech contests, like that was my thing. I had not this automatic set of friends and that's, that was my identity. Oh man, it was so great because I had a tribe, like I had a people and I had found some success at it. I hoped to do it in college. It was going to help me pay for college. This whole thing was going to be great. 
Um, my junior year, I, I realized, I found out, not a sob story, I promise there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a point. I had a, I found out I had a really abnormal heartbeat rhythm, uh, and I had a weird arrhythmia that very, very few people had, um, or have, I guess I still have it, but um, not deadly or anything, it's not life-threatening, but what it happened, <laughs> the, the consequence was that I had really low blood pressure. So if I stood in any one place for too long or didn't move around, just middle of speech class, that happened. Um, <laughs> where else did it happen? Lots of different places. Um, on, a, on a choir trip um, I f in the Palace of Versailles in the Queen's bedroom in France, I right over. Um, and it actually didn't bother me that much. You can imagine as a 17-year-old kid, it was pretty embarrassing. But that wasn't who I was. It just didn't matter. Until the spring concert of my junior year, I passed out on my friend Adam, just fell right over on him. And I came to, not really knowing where I was, to the horror of the entire audience looking at me, all of my, these, the poor conductor was just like trying to figure out what to do. Um, all of my choir members looking and my mom was on stage, so it's like the 16-year-old nightmare. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, what does this mean for me? My whole identity had been taken away. What was I supposed to do? It, sure, the, the passing out part was, was embarrassing and, and was a problem, but like the biggest issue was, what was like, who am I now if I can't do that? Because that's who I was. And so I kind of soldiered through up to my senior year. It was uh, the Christmas concert. The, best, the most fun concert of the year, singing Christmas carols, celebrating the birth of Christ. It was beautiful and wonderful and everyone's favorite concert of the year. And I could not leave my room at my parents' house. I had my tuxedo on, ready to go. I had my music folder. We were actually running late. And I remember, I remember where I was in my parents' house in my room, just standing there. And I remember, the most vivid thing I remember about it all was that I was physically shaking. I could not do it, because what if I go out there and fail again? Who does that make me? And I had found this verse, and all of a sudden, I knew what it means to tremble. When you know what it means to tremble, all of a sudden, this verse became not just something, a word used by Simon Estes in an old hymn, or not just something in the Bible, but new life was breathed into old words that all of a sudden I saw that that story was also mine. When our Bible verse today says that the Bible is good for teaching, rebuking, training, etc., it's not because we're supposed to use this as some sort of like mold that we're trying to push ourselves into so that we don't step out of line. And it's not some sort of manual that was written a couple of thousand years ago so that we can avoid all struggle and all pain. No, 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 no. This thing is the truest example of what it means to live. You read this and it's all in there. The whole human experience is in here because it's our story and how God's in the midst of it. I actually say that verse, Psalm 16, 8, I, shall, uh, I know the Lord my God is right beside me, I shall never tremble or be afraid. 
any time before I step on stage. I set it down there before I came up here. I've set it for every single thing that I've ever had to do but were stressful for myself since then. And I, I promise, I will, one of my pledges to all of you as my first time here, I will always be honest with you and always try to be my, my, my 100% self. Um, I, I've struggled with anxiety. You know, I don't, I, I'm much better. I don't pass out anymore. I don't do all these things. Obviously, I endeavor to walk around here on the stage and talk to you all. So things are obviously going pretty well. But um, I've struggled with anxiety in my life. I, and if that is you, please know that that, is, that belongs here. Whatever your story is, that, that struggle, that thing that's not happy, smiley here at church, that also belongs in this room. And I'm going to bring mine here and you can bring yours here too. Maybe for you, it's the story that all of a sudden sounds more familiar or breathes new life. Maybe it's Abraham and Sarah being angry at God because they can't have kids. Maybe it's Moses feeling like he's not good enough for the job that he's been chosen for. Maybe it's Jonah being mad at how well his enemies have been treated. Or maybe it's Job who just can't seem to catch a break. Maybe that's you. But friends, if the struggle in here, and a lot of people struggle in here because a lot of people struggle outside of this thing, if that's true, then the hope of this thing is also true. If the bad things and the, the different struggles and the different um, problems that happen to people are also our problems, then these hopes and these dreams and these aspirations are also ours as well. Because people in the Bible don't just struggle. People also reconcile with estranged family members. People in the Bible learn new things, and not just at young ages. People make new friends. People take big risks. And people find new love. There's, uh, there's this song called Lord Have Mercy by this worship leader slash uh, songwriter named Brady Toops. It has a lot of different... Um, Bible verses and different things in it, but um, the bridge of it is beautiful. It's him in a choir singing, how great, how great is your faithfulness. And that's from Lamentations 3. Everybody kind of, like, we've heard the great is thy faithfulness. Um, sometimes churches play it real slow, and it it's seems to last forever. They sing all, like, nine verses or whatever is in it. And if I were to ask you, great is thy faithfulness, we kind of understand what that means, right? But great is thy faithfulness, what does that really mean? Just like the word tremble, maybe it's not a whole lot. And that's fine. Um, I actually listened to this song before my wedding. Uh, I actually just liked the song because it was, uh, just because it was a really cool song. It's very calming, very peaceful. And my, your wedding's kind of a big day. So it's, there's a few things going on. And um, I remember sitting there and I was nervous, man. I'm nervous candidly for a lot of the reasons I listed before. I'm like, is that going to happen to me out there? And just all the things coming together. Kelsey and I do a lot of things as a team. That's just like kind of how we operate. And we did the thing where we hadn't seen each other, like we weren't going to see each other until she came out. And so we were kind of facing this big day by ourselves until that time. And uh, Mark Brandt, actually, who you might know him, he is a... He's a guy out at, in West Des Moines working. He's, you saw him on the Hope 360 video. He was my youth pastor. And uh, Kelsey and I volunteered uh, with him when we were at Drake. And so he actually drove up to Minnesota and officiated our ceremony. 
And so I walk in there and I stand up there with Mark. And, I, and I'm up there. And my groomsmen come down. We do a little handshake with each of them. Everybody's there. And just seriously, that, those anxiety and those nerves, and I'm sitting there, and is everything going to be okay? What's going to happen? Uh, oh, no. And I don't know if this shows through, but I'm not really that traditional of a person. I don't, you know, I don't hold a lot of value, and I don't have a lot of traditions I keep in my own life that much. But my favorite tradition, in the, I think of anything anywhere, I've had the blessing to, uh, to officiate some weddings, and the, when everybody stands when the bride comes in, weddings are such a big deal these days. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's the way that it is. And these, these women coming in as brides have done so much for like a year planning this thing. And all of a sudden, there it is. And I just love it because you, the gesture to stand. And everybody stands as if to say when she walks in, we're here for you. Here we are for you. I still get goosebumps. I like get choked up thinking about it. And so here I am standing nervous. Mark Brandt gives the signal. And the doors open. And there was my wife. And so I did what everyone, you know, the natural thing to do. I cried like a baby. (laughs) And I didn't just cry because she was like the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in the entire world. I'm not just saying that for brownie points because she's right there. I couldn't, it was like I couldn't even stand it. And I don't even remember if Canon and Dee is what she walked down the aisle to because the only thing I could hear in my head was the, the bridge of that song, that chorus singing, how great, how great is your faithfulness. That's, I swear, it's the only thing I could hear. And my anxiety and, and my, all of my nerves and all of my, all of my problems with myself all of a sudden just melted away. And I don't just do, I don't put this up here, guys, because it's a nice story. I put it up here because that's not just the face of a guy who's happy to be getting married. This is the face of a guy who all of a sudden realized that that verse was for me. Old words breathe new life. Because I knew despite all of the struggles and problems in my life that I would have someone there next to me to love me unconditionally for forever. Great is thy faithfulness. Those words meant something to me then, and they certainly do now. So friends, this is the story of us and how God is in the middle of it, is for us, loving us, leading us to a better, brighter future to realize the full goodness with which we were made. And how he put on flesh and blood and bone to come experience it alongside us in the person of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Christian authors said that Jesus didn't just come to die and be resurrected for us. Certainly did that. But it's as if God put on skin and bone to come alongside us, not just 100% man, but, or not just 100% God, but also 100% man, as if to come along and, he said, scream alongside us. Jesus is God looking at humanity saying, I know how you feel. So to see this as our story, that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to see it 
as if we're seeing it for the first time, allowing it, the words to hit us for the very first time. So friends, I'd invite you to stand here. Seeing as the invitation is to seize these words and receive these words as, as a, new, a new thing in your life, in a, in a more new and familiar way, let's practice it here together. This is an ancient blessing that God gave his people a couple thousand years ago that he still gives all of you today. So receive these words, and even though you might have heard them before, receive them new. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on yours and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you, and the Lord give you his peace. Grace and peace, friends. It's so good to be with you. I can't wait to get to know all of you more. If you need one of these things, if you don't have one, it's our gift to you. They're in the back. Seriously. Receive it in a new way. It's good to be with you all. Amen. Amen. Feel free to stand. There are a bunch of new people around here, not just me, so feel free to uh, go uh, say hi to somebody that you met earlier today. Let's go be the church. Thanks, friends.